May God speak to you through today's message from Pastor Adam Jungblut. Good morning. I'm glad y'all are here. My name's Adam Jungblut. I'm the membership and ministry pastor here at The Park. I think you picked a great Sunday to come to church. We're kicking off a brand new series called Illustrated. And for four weeks, we are going to be looking at how Jesus illustrated some very difficult principles and characteristics of God in a very easy to understand format. And so we're going to look at some of these principles, what there is for us to learn, and then also maybe how we can apply some of that teaching style in our own life. So I'm really glad you're here as we kick off this series. All right, so you know how when you're setting up an online account, they ask you those security questions? Well, one of the most common security questions that's on there is list your favorite teacher. Mine is always Miss Kirby. I had Miss Kirby in the fifth grade. She was my American history teacher. Now, up until that point, I mean, I liked history, but it paled in comparison to lunch and recess. So I liked it, but it was just okay. But then Miss Kirby's class came along, and everything changed. Like, she made it feel like I was literally there partaking in the history. I mean, I felt like I was along with Paul Revere on the famous ride. She was just an amazing teacher. That it it wasn't words on a textbook page. She just made it real life to me. And I began to love history, starting from that class, to the point that later, my dad and I, just the two of us, went on a trip to the East Coast, and we drove up and down the coast, hitting all of the famous sites for American history. We hit Jamestown, Williamsburg Settlement, D.C., all of the classic places, just because I loved history. It carried on. When I was at TCU, I minored in American history. I am a huge history buff. I just love reading about it. And all of it traces back to Miss Kirby's class when I was in the fifth grade. Look, we've all had teachers like that. I'm sure as soon as I start talking about mine, you thought about your favorite teacher that came along. And we always thought that, gosh, if this teacher could teach all of my classes, I would do a lot better in school. I I would have a school if I could have just moved this teacher from class to class to class. They just have a way of making words and numbers that are on a page, you can understand them. It becomes real life. And you enjoy learning when you have teachers like that. Now, the teachers in Jesus' days, though those good teachers, they were very few and far between. You see, the teachers in Jesus' day, they, they were called Pharisees. And they were so highly educated and taught in such lofty mannerisms that it was very difficult to understand. They would take complicated passages of the Old Testament of God's law, and they would just complicate them more with their difficult teaching style. I mean, even the structure of which they taught created a major disconnect. You see, they taught in the temple. And so let me just give you an idea. So if I'm a Pharisee and I'm teaching right here, in this room, it would be only the men would be allowed to be in here. Only the men could be in here to literally see a Pharisee and hear their teaching. In the foyer, that's where the young men would be. The young men could be in the foyer, but they would not be allowed to come into here. They had to be in the foyer. Now, women and children, you would be in the parking lot. You'd be in the parking lot, and there are no outdoor speakers. So you're straining to hear, probably just giving up. And then beyond that are Dallas Cowboys fans. (laughs) I know, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So do you see the disconnect? The difficulty. And so maybe you can read something, but it's just so hard to understand. 
I, let's just say this. I mean, we're a very highly educated society, especially compared to the people in Jesus' day. There are times that we read the Bible, and we read it, and for us, it's just words on a page. We'll read a chapter, and then we'll say, I, I have no idea what that means. I have no idea how I'm supposed to apply that to my life. And if we feel that, and we're educated and we can read, how the people in Jesus' day feel that weren't educated and that couldn't read? Do you see the difficulty that was a continual, just a struggle for them to understand and truly know in a relationship form their own God? But then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and he revolutionizes everything, even in the way that he taught. See, Jesus understood that God's law, it's for everybody. He wants everybody not just to be able to read it, but to understand it and to have a relationship with his father. And so Jesus used a teaching style, it's called parables. They're stories that have a meaning behind them. And so Jesus would take these principles and these characteristics of God And he would basically remove all of the difficulty from them, and he'd put them in, like, comic book form. He would illustrate it for everybody to see. It's like he came along and said, hey, this really difficult concept right here, hey, you want me just to draw you a picture of it? Yes. Finally. Finally, somebody that can teach us and we can understand. He changed everything. So one day, Jesus is in a large crowd. And he begins to teach probably the most famous of all parables. It's what we're going to look at today. It's a parable called the lost son. Find it in Luke 15. And and he's in this crowd. And in this crowd, there's primarily three groups of people. There's just the people. There's the people that are there following Jesus, wanting to listen to him. There's the Pharisees that are there in the background. And they're kind of basically just trash-talking Jesus as he's teaching. Well, and then there's Jesus. So we've got Jesus the people, and the Pharisees. And Jesus begins to illustrate this story. Now, Jesus doesn't have PowerPoint. Jesus doesn't have an amazing stage team that builds these awesome props that we can slide in and we can change things that bring things to life for us. Jesus didn't have any of that. But what Jesus had that was so different than anything in their day, he had himself. He he just had him. Because that was never used. Teachers always stayed in the temple and taught from there. But Jesus illustrated by using himself. So look, you can find the story of the lost son in Luke 15. It's in verses 11 through 32. But for today, I just want you to listen to me. I just want you to listen to me as I tell you a story. And here, to illustrate this a little bit more, let's do this. There was a father He had two sons. One day, the youngest son came to him. He said, Dad, I'm out. I'm done. Give me half of everything that's owed me. Half of my inheritance, all all of my inheritance, half of everything you have, I want it right now. And I'm gone. I'm sure the father was heartbroken. He said, okay. So he basically gave him half. It probably meant that he drained all all of his bank account, all of his assets, because it's not like he could give him, you know, a house. It's not like he could give him a barn. So he, he gave it to him. 
and the youngest son was gone. He left, went off to another land, and he began to live the wild life, gambling, and he just started blowing through all of his money. And before you know it, guess what? He was broke. He was broke. It was gone. He had nothing. I mean, his entire inheritance, gone. And literally, when he had nothing, he had nothing. Left the family, said, Dad, I'm out. And now he has no money, nothing. Well, of course, a famine hits the land. A famine hits the land, and everybody goes on hard times. So if he thought he had it bad then, now he really has it rough. So he needs to find work. And so he winds up getting a job, working at a farm. And his role is he, he's cleaning the pig pen. That's his job. His job is to make sure that the pigs are taken care of. I mean, a detestable, disgusting job. So he does. He begins to serve. He begins to just take care of these pigs. And he gets so hungry that he's watching what these pigs eat, and he's longing to eat what they have. That the pigs are eating better than the food that he has on his plate. It's so bad for him. Well, eventually he just says, you know what? Golly, the guys that used to work at my dad's farm, they had it a lot better than this. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back, and I'm just going to say, Dad, I'm sorry. I blew it. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you just please hire me on as a worker? And uh, and I'll just work for you for the rest of my life. How desperate must he have been to reach that point? And so he heads out. He leaves. He starts walking home. And I'm sure he can see his place far off in the distance. It's probably a road that he had traveled many times as a boy. And he's got this plan in his mind. Well, his dad is looking out at the horizon. And he sees his son. He sees his son. He sees the shadow. And he knows just by looking at that shadow out there, he knows exactly who it is. And so as the son is walking humbly devastated home, dad starts running towards him. Dad starts running up to him. As soon as his dad gets there, the son says, Dad, I blew it. I just blew it, Dad. Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the dad interrupts him and says, stop. Stop. And he calls back. And he says, hey, get some of my finest clothes. Put them on my son. Get him some new shoes. He has nothing. Put these on. God, let, let's throw a party. Because my son was dead and now he's alive. He's lost and now he's found. Kill. Somebody find the best cow that we've got. Kill it. We are having a barbecue like you ain't never seen. My son is home. So they begin to throw this party. Well, the older son, he's out probably still working in the fields and he hears this party going on. And he comes up and he's like, hey, to one of the servants, what, what, what's going on here? And he's like, oh, your younger son, uh, your younger brother, he's, he's back. He came back and your dad was thrilled and so he's throwing in this huge party. Well, her son, he's ticked. He, he's just ticked at this whole thing. He's not going in the party. So dad sees him kind of standing on the outside and dad comes out and says, what are you doing out here, dude? Man, we killed the the best cow that we got. Come on in, dude. We got some ribs in here that you can. What are you, 
What is this? And someone says, hey, look, Dad. I've been busting my rear end for you. I'm not the one who left, remember? I'm the one that's been slaving every day, doing everything, single thing that you said. You didn't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends, ever. Father says, listen, son, you've missed it. You missed the boat of this whole thing. You understand. Your son was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. We have to celebrate. What do you think a teaching like that would have been to people that have felt a disconnect between their eternal father, their God, for centuries? To have somebody tell them a story, get down on their level, walk amongst them, men, women, children, saying, hey, let me tell you this story. That was life-changing for them. It was life-changing. It was teaching that they had never come in contact with. All of a sudden, these ideas of how they should act, these biblical principles, they became alive to them because Jesus illustrated them. So let's take a look at the story. What, what, what do we need to take away from this? This amazing story that we've been told. Obviously, there's a parable and there's meaning all in it. I, I'm sure as you were thinking about it, you were trying to, you could relate to the father in some aspects and you could relate to the younger son in some ways and you understood how you could relate to the older son at times. And So you're trying to think about it and you're applying it to your life. Ah, that's things that the people in Jesus' day, they never had the opportunity to do that. Maybe they had had to memorize some scripture as a kid, but having somebody explain it to them of what does that mean, how does that apply to your life, now that they didn't have that. So let's just look at this. Get out your sermon notes if you haven't gotten it out already. Here's what I, here it is. The big key lesson, the big key lesson of the lost son is to celebrate when anyone who was lost becomes found. Celebrate when anyone who was lost becomes found. Look, on, on, a, on a just a, a basic level, when anyone becomes a Christ follower, when anyone becomes saved, we're to celebrate. It is cause for celebration. Like before Christ is in your life, you're lost. You're, you're lost. It's as if you're out in the woods with nowhere to go, everything is dark, you have no purpose, you don't know what you're doing. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're lost. Maybe you've been trying a lot of different things and places to find your purpose or to find happiness, to find help. And maybe you've just stumbled into Parkway Fellowship this morning. If that's you, Lord, praise God, I'm glad you're here. Maybe you're lost. Well, today's the day that I'd like for you to be found because you have a God, an eternal Father, that's looking down the road waiting for you to come home. He's done everything to pave the way for you to come back. You see, there is a barrier between us and God. It's called our sin. It's what keeps us away. Just like what kept the younger son away from the father was the mistakes that were made. And because of these mistakes, we can't have a relationship with God because there's this sin. Because God's perfect and we're not. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life here on earth 
And then even though he didn't deserve it, he took the penalty for all of our mistakes, giving us the ability to wipe our sins away so that we could be made clean, so that we could have a relationship with God. And all we do is need to believe in Jesus Christ, put our trust in him, and pledge to follow him as best we know how. That's cause for celebration. If that's you and you've never done that, would you do that today? I would love to celebrate with you. Like on, 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 on a different level. It's not just about salvation. There have always been times in our life where maybe we took a, a U-turn and walked down a course that we shouldn't have. Mixed up with a group of friends, a relationship, a substance. Maybe we just got lost in our own pride and our own goals and ambitions. In a room this large, I'm sure there's probably a couple of you that have had seasons like that. Anytime we come back, anytime we were lost and now we're found, it's cause for celebration. Look, do you celebrate? I mean, everybody loves celebrating. Everybody loves having a good time. Do you celebrate the salvations in your family? It's something that we started doing in our family. William became a Christ follower on March 7th, 2008. And Avery became a Christ follower on August 20th, 2011. We celebrate those days. We throw a huge party and we blow it out as a family. We have so much fun and we celebrate their salvation because what was lost is now found. And I'm always looking for a good barbecue. Any excuse I can find. That's a perfect one. Well, we celebrate it. We absolutely do. Uh, maybe you don't know the actual day that you or maybe one of your kids became a Christ follower. Do you know the day that they were baptized? Celebrate that day. Well, even if you don't know the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, you shouldn't celebrate. We have a great uh, friends of ours, another family. They live in New Braunfels. We get together every summer with them. We spend about a week with them every summer. And we have one day, and we call it Salvation Celebration. And we all go get snow cones. I mean, nobody was saved on that day, but yet we want to celebrate. So we all load up the cars, we go to this snow cone place, and we just get the biggest snow cones with as much sugar in them as possible, and we celebrate, and we eat them. And then in the end, we pray, just thanking God for our salvation, and then we spend time praying for those in our family that haven't accepted Christ yet. I mean, my daughter Elle is 10 months old. She's not there yet. Maybe in a couple, yeah. So it hadn't happened. So we pray for her. We pray for her that she would find Christ at the youngest and earliest age as possible. Do you celebrate? You need to celebrate your salvation. If you don't, today, lunch, celebrate. You have no excuse not to. It's cause for celebration. All right. There's more to the story than that. You see, there's three main groups of people that were present when Jesus was telling the story, and there's three main characters. Jesus is making a very direct correlation between the younger son and the people of Israel, God's chosen people. He's making a direct correlation of the older son and the Pharisees. He's making the correlation of the father to himself. So let's look at, real quick, the meaning behind the story when we look at those three main characters. Here's the first one. The thing that we learn from the Father is God will always welcome me back just the way I am. God will always welcome me back just the way I am. Look what it says in Luke 15, 22 through 24. 
But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Think about all of the emotions and reactions that the father could have had to the younger son. He could have been angry, frustrated, took him up on the offer of, yeah, you know what? You are. You are going to work for me. You're done. You are no longer my son. None of it. Absolutely none of it. He said, yeah, just the way you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where the money's gone. I really don't care about any of it. Just come here. I mean, he knew that his son was in a really bad state because the first thing he asked for were new clothes. If the son was doing really well and had showed up in nice clothes, he wouldn't have had that response. The father knew. The father knew that he was desperate, done. At the end of his ropes, everything was gone just by looking at him. Look, let me tell you this. Listen to me. And I don't know who I'm talking to in this room. God wants you back. You've been away from him for too long. You've been doing your own thing. You've been following your own goals, your own ambitions. God wants you back today. And he wants you back just the way you are. He doesn't want you to fix anything. He wants to fix it. He just wants you back. Well, there's the younger son. Another major character. What can we learn from him? Look, when we look at the younger son, we learn to confess any sins that have hurt relationships. Any sins. uh, To confess anything that has hurt relationships. Look what it says in Luke 15, 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. How desperate must he have been? I mean, the fall that that this young man took to go from the audacity and the cocky confidence and pride of, hey, I'm out, give me my half. To coming back and saying, I've got nothing. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just hire me on. He had no plan B. He had no plan B. He had one plan, was to confess and then to take whatever his dad was going to give him. In a room this large, somebody's dealing with some serious strained relationships. And the relationship that the father and the young son had, oh, it was strained. It was non-existent. It wasn't even there. Look, what we learn from this and what Jesus was trying to communicate to the people of Israel is to confess what you've done. Yeah, God, we haven't been following you. Confess your part of why the relationship is strained. For some of you, that means you need to make a phone call there today. And say, look, I'm sorry. I confess my part. Rarely is it just one person that's done everything to strain a relationship. Most of the time it's two. So you need to confess for your part of that relationship. For some of you in here, that's as soon as you get home. You turn to a member of your family and you confess. That's what we learn. That's what Jesus wanted to get across to the people of Israel. Hey, confess that you haven't been following your God. That's it. And look, and we learn from the father that the father is going to take him back. Well, what do we learn from the older son? We learn from the older son is don't lose focus of the right motivation, for it leads to entitlement. 
Luke 15, 29. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Don't lose focus of the right motivation. The motivation of the older son should be to serve his dad because he's dad. Not to serve his father because in hopes of a goat or a cow to celebrate with his friends for how great and awesome the oldest son is. See, the reason the older son was working so hard is because he wanted attention. He wanted glory. He had lost sight of his motivation, and he felt like he was entitled. And he, he lost out on the celebration. He couldn't even celebrate when his youngest son was lost and then became found because he felt like he was entitled to that party. The party that the younger son was getting, that was his party, and he was entitled to it. When you lose sight of the right motivation, think of it this way. In a marriage, let's say if you feel like you're pulling more of your weight than your spouse, you're serving more, you're doing more, and you've lost sight of why you're doing it because God has called you to love your spouse, and you begin to think, I'm doing so much in this deal, I should be getting a little bit of a, you know, a reward out of this. I feel like I'm owed and I'm deserved this kind of a marriage for the work that I'm putting in. You've lost sight of the real motivation. And you're entitled. And marriages crumble at that. Or maybe you serve somewhere in this church or out in the community. And you start with the right motivation of serving, but it becomes difficult, it becomes tiring, and you begin to look at other people that aren't serving. And you're like, but why am I going to do this? They should, be, they should be in here serving too. They should be doing this as well. They're the ones that should be serving. I've been doing this every single week. And you lose the motivation for serving. And originally, all you wanted to do was honor God and tell him thank you for everything he's done in your life. And that's all gone now. Look, you see how the Pharisees, God, we've been following you so close. We're so smart. We're so great. We should be entitled to a relationship with you. We should be the ones that are the closest to you. We are your best, God. We are entitled to everything that we have because we've been slaving for you and obeying everything that you have. And when you read the Gospels, it's easy to see. Pharisees are the bad guys. They've lost out. But how can we take this teaching style that Jesus has and apply it to our own lives? Two things real quick. How can we do it? Here, here's the first bullet. Tell my story to family and friends. Tell my stories to family and friends. You have great stories. Tell them. You have great stories. Tell them. Whenever you hear a story from somebody else, don't you just feel like your relationship just grew by leaps and bounds with them? You know a really cool story of something that happened to them? I mean, you need to be telling all of your kids and grandkids as many stories about your life as you can think of. I promise you they will love to hear them. They love you. They look up to you. They want to hear about the things that you did right. They want to hear about the things that you did wrong. They want to hear about the silly and funny things that have happened in your life. Tell them stories. They want to hear them. Your friends want to hear them. But here's the next bullet. Tell them, be sure to tell them what I learned through that story. Tell them a story and then say, hey, this is what I learned. Like as parents, uh, this is a classic one. How many times do you tell your kids to share? No matter how old they are, you need to share, you need to share, you need to share, you need to share. You even tell them the benefits of sharing. 
Maybe you show them what sharing looks like. Maybe you've set a timer in the kitchen. It's like, hey, you play with this toy for 15 minutes, and then when it dings, they play with the toy for 15 minutes. How about you tell them a story of the time where you had to share with your brother or sister? How about you tell them a time where somebody wasn't sharing with you and how it made you feel? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to teach you about sharing. I just want to tell you a story. Or m- maybe, maybe your workplace, you want your people to operate like a team. Instead of like pounding teamwork, 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 writing teamwork on, up on the walls and everything, how about you tell them a story of when you were on a team and everything that you were able to accomplish because you operate as a team. Maybe when you were in high school. Maybe when you were in college. Maybe if your highest level was junior high. Tell them about those glory days. Everybody loves hearing stories. Tell stories. And just tell them. You will be amazed at what people will learn from stories. We don't tell near enough stories. But look, here's what it boils down to. The big thing that I want you to see. In Luke 15, 32, it says, But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I want you to circle had to. You have to celebrate. You have to celebrate. Find things, little things, and celebrate them. Celebrate them in your relationships. Celebrate them in your families. Celebrate them with friends. Today, I want you to learn to celebrate when anything was lost, was found. All right, I want everybody to pull out your connection card. Flip it on the, over on the back, and I want you to take a next step based on the message today. Maybe it's this first one. Become a Christ follower today. Hey, look, are you lost? Well, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Look, pray that prayer at the bottom of your sermon notes. Pray that prayer right there. Pray it now. Pray it when Pat and the worship team come back up. Look, just pray that prayer. If that's you, check that box. Be sure that your name and email and address are on the front because I want to mail you some stuff this week. Maybe for you it's this next one. Celebrate my salvation by getting baptized. Uh, That's what the Bible says. The first way to celebrate is you should be baptized. If you have not been baptized, or if maybe you don't remember your baptism because it was when you were a kid and it meant more to your parents than you, and you want to be baptized, and you want to celebrate your salvation, check that box. Let's get baptized. Let's celebrate. Maybe for you, it's this next one. Commit to celebrate the salvation of my friends, uh, my family and friends. Look, make it a point to celebrate salvations for your family and friends. Maybe for this next one. Confess my lack of priority in my relationship with Jesus and begin to follow him. Confess in hopes of restoring that relationship. Here's another one. Confess my part of a strained relationship and attempt to reconcile. Would you make that attempt this week? Whatever that may look like for you. Or maybe it's this last one. Refocus my motivation for serving others by reading all of Luke 15, 11 through 32. That's the story of the lost son. Read it this week, maybe a couple times this week, to refocus and make sure your motivation in certain places in life is dead on. Let me pray for us as Pat and the worship team come back up. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would do a great work in us. God, I thank you. God, for Jesus' teaching style through parables, that he can take these difficult conversations of forgiveness and of reconciliation and of our pride and of entitlement and of motivation, of all of these concepts in ways that we're supposed to act, and he can encapsulate them in one story. God, I thank you that he showed up and that he didn't stand on a stage or in a temple, but that he got down and, God, he was with the people. God, he was with us. 
God, so I pray that we would be able to learn these concepts about you and these characteristics that, that it would allow us to follow you more. God, I pray that we would be able to use them in our families and in our friends and together we would all celebrate when anything that is lost becomes found. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.